Let's pray. Let's ask the word of the Lord to be made real in our hearts. Father, we thank you for the reading of the word. We thank you that you give us the capacity to study the word. Lord, we know your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We declare, Lord, that tonight we yield ourselves to the ministry of the word of God. Lord, as we hear, help us to apply and, and appropriate the provisions of God in your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. The book of Philippians is Paul's epistle of what? It's his epistle of joy. Now, we've been talking about uh, joy for the last three Wednesday nights, or really four. We had our special uh, service last Wednesday. Uh, and was it last Wednesday? We had a blast. I'll tell you, it was fun. Uh, and just had chili cook-off and a lot of fun things and good fellowship. But So this last month, we've been talking about biblical joy. And we realize that, that real joy... When I say real joy, I'm talking about biblical joy has absolutely nothing to do with your external circumstances. Correct? It has everything to do with your position and place in Christ Jesus. And so uh, you see it right there in Philippians chapter, pardon me, chapter 1 verse 2. To all the saints in Christ Jesus. Everyone say in Christ Jesus. Now... We know that that little word I-N is the biggest little word. I call the biggest little word in the New Testament. Uh, it means in a fixed position. Uh, and uh, my statement about that is if people get fixed, a lot of things get fixed. If you get fixed in him, a lot of things begin to line up in your life. And so uh, Paul is, is uh, twofold purpose uh, with the, this book or this letter, pardon me, to the Philippians, he's uh, thanking them for their generosity. Like no other church, they gave sacrificially into his life at very key moments in his life. And then number two, he was addressing a little bit of uh, disunity. Uh, and so we talked a couple of Wednesday nights ago about uh, community unity in chapter two. And uh, it was just a, a good lesson on maintaining community unity and how that releases biblical joy in our life uh, and appropriates that for us. Tonight, we're going to jump in at Philippians chapter three. Uh, and uh, I think we have time tonight. Could I read the entire chapter for you, Philippians 3? Could I do that? Would you follow? This is New King James. Uh, let me do that, and then we'll kind of look through it uh, a little more detail. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Everyone say, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. We'll talk about that. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Notice the word rejoice there. We're rejoicing in who? Christ Jesus. And we have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. In other words, if there's anybody who could boast or brag about their accomplishments, it would be me. 
And here he goes, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these things, these things I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I am already, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I tell you often and now tell you even weeping that they're enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. And everyone said, amen. Let me just read verse one of chapter four. It's kind of a good conclusion. Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. And everybody said, Amen. I kind of think verse 1 of chapter 4 should be verse 22 of chapter 3. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, but, uh, hey, and Paul didn't put chapters and verses. Uh, I, if I were making chapters and verses, that's where I would put it because it seems to be a good cap uh, to what we just read. Tonight, let's jump in. I want to show you a couple of things, uh, kind of build a little uh, uh, foundation, and then we're going to talk about guarding the goods uh, and keeping the joy of the Lord uh, at the forefront of our heart on a daily basis. Philippians 3, 1 says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And, and let me just explain up to this point how Paul has uh, worked this theme of joy into this letter. Uh, the first two chapters, Paul is modeling joy for this church. He's talking about, you know, in fact, if gosh, we'll just chapter one, verse three, I thank God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. He's modeling joy. And where is Paul when he writes this letter? He is in prison. Somebody say it out loud. He's in prison. So he's modeling joy for them. Philippians 2, uh, verse 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. 
And so he keeps talking about his joy. And then verse 17 and 18 of chapter 2, he says, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Now now he's been modeling this joy. I've been in prison, but hey... uh, uh, I, to be absent from the Lord, absent from the body, he's present with the Lord, and he's modeling joy, and he's got this, I mean, he's just excited, he's thankful to them, and then he starts inviting them in on this journey with them. Did you see that right there? Come on, rejoice with me. Everyone say, rejoice with me. How many of you, how many of you know some people need to be invited to, uh, to enjoy the journey with you? And so we kind of see that. And then when we begin chapter 3, it's almost like now he's saying to them, okay, now you just take this and run with it. You see that? Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. In other words, don't just see and rejoice in the fact that I'm rejoicing. And and let's not just rejoice together, but hey, finally, let me just kind of bring it to the forefront. You just, regardless of your circumstances, and we're going to look at some of these in just a moment, just, just you take this ball and now run with it. So that's kind of what we see here. He's, he's encouraging this church, even though they were experiencing persecutions, they were experiencing great financial financially lean times and even in the middle of those lean times they were giving extravagantly to Paul and his ministry and had done so that's why one of the reasons he's writing the letter but we see very clearly that he is endeavoring to to uh, be a role model of joy and then then spark it within them and it's almost like the command of God finally my brethren hey come on now just rejoice in the Lord in other words, this is, it's almost like a command. This is just ought to be our nature. So, so just jump on board with this message of biblical joy. So you get that picture, but I got it, say, I got it. Amen. Now, the next thing he says in verse 2 of chapter 3, he said, rejoice in the Lord. Then he says, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Now, the word beware means to mark, observe, and guard against. And these dogs and these evil workers and this mutilation is really, he's addressing one group of people. It's not three different, you know, there's some dogs, there's some evil workers, and then the mutilation. He's, he's addressing one group of folks. And it's the religious Jews who were antagonistic towards the gospel. Because it was counter, it, 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 it certainly was not in concert and harmony with their theology of the day. And they were antagonistic and, and persecuting Christians. You got the picture? Now, so Paul, Paul pulled no punches. He called them dogs. Now, shame on Paul for doing that. Well, in, in, in Paul's day, the Jews called all the Gentiles dogs. You know what Paul was saying? We're not the dogs. They're the dogs. Now, he's, he's not afraid to call it what it is. And he says they're evil workers. Now, it's much, that descriptive is much more than someone who does evil. It's people who work and deceive and conspire to do evil. How many of you know we can all do evil and go, oops, I didn't mean to do that. But he's, he, he lifts it up. They're, they're dogs. Uh, they are, and, and, you know, if you go, gosh, I can't, 
I don't have time to go there. But, but he, I really don't. I, my little brain gets going and I have to reel it back in. Uh, and so he says, these people are conspiring. They're deceitful they, in, in evil ways. And you've got to beware of them. You've got to mark them. Uh, and he said, he said, they're the mutilation. Now, he's addressing the, the circumcision of the body. And he's saying, which is true, that since the, the New Testament and the message of grace and the, the just shall live by faith, that now we are circumcised of heart and there's no need for a physical circumcision. But these religious uh, zealots, uh, these Jewish people, they were glorying in their, their religious rights and duties even in a circumcision. And you know what he called them? He said, you're just mutilating yourself. You're just a bunch of mutilators. Now, how many of you know Paul is just jumping right in the middle of their business? But he's not addressing those people. He's addressing Philippi and the church at Philippi. And he said, you've got to beware of this religious issue. That is coming against you cannot let that rob you of your joy. That's really the theme of what he's saying here. And so now in Philippians chapter three, we're going to look at some things that that I'll I'll outline in just a moment that I think are positive influences in our life that will keep us from losing our joy in the face of the evil workers and of the mutilation and of, of, of troubles and traumas in life. And in fact, if you go down to Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, after uh, he addresses them to be of the same mind, he said, follow, brethren, join in following my example. And here, here he's addressing uh, uh, these dogs, evil workers, and mutilation again. He said, for many walk... Uh, pardon me, I, let me, I, I missed verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they're enemies of the cross of Christ. How many of you know the religious Jews of Jesus and Paul's day were enemies of the cross of Christ? He's just, that's who he's talking about. Whose end is their destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. And so Paul very clearly here is saying to the church, you got to watch after this. It will rob you of the goods, if you will. And you've got to guard the goods. Everyone say guard the goods. You see, what he's saying is you can't let their influence rob you of your relationship with Christ and thus rob you of your joy. How many of you know there are a lot of dream thieves and joy thieves and, and just all kinds of negative influences in the world? We may not be facing the same things the Philippians are, but I want to tell you something, there's some dogs and evil workers in our world. <laughs> and you've got, you got to guard yourself against those evil workers that are whose whose what do he, he said their god is their belly uh, their glory is their shame they set their mind on earthly things and their goal is to undermine your joy and undermine your relationship with Jesus Christ that was the purpose of the that's what the 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 the, the religious uh, Jewish zealots were doing with the first century church that's where the persecution came from. 
Are you with me? Say amen. So I want to give you, I have 10 things. I think there's 10 here. 10 things that I see in Philippians chapter 3 that will help us guard the goods or guard the joy of the Lord in our life, even in the face of evil workers and evildoers, even in the face of trouble and, 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 and potentially tribulation. And here they are. Are you ready? Or I said, are you ready? Here we go. The first one is this. We guard the goods, that is the joy of the Lord, our relationship with Jesus Christ, by way of repetitious reinforcement. Repetitious reinforcement. Now let me show it to you right here in verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. You know what he's talking about? Repetition. He said, I'm telling you some of the things I've already told you. In fact, even if it was just this book of Philippians, you know, I'm modeling joy. I'm asking you to rejoice with me. And finally, I'm saying rejoice. I've been mentioning this. I've been hitting on this. But now I I want you to know I'm just going to repeat. I've got to repeat myself. In fact, what does he say in Philippians 4.4? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And and understand something about, about your life. There's nothing wrong with some uh, repetitious reinforcement in your life when it comes to the things of God. In fact, the word meditate, what does Psalm 1 say? We meditate on the law of the Lord. And if we meditate on the law of the Lord, we'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water, which yields its fruit and its season. Its leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now, the word meditate basically means to mutter and say again. And how many of you know the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, right? And when we just begin to meditate on the Word of God, we meditate on who we are in Christ. Hey, whatever you want to meditate, what he's saying is, hey, it, it's, this, is a, this is the safe zone. You want to be safe against the, the, the religious zealots of the day or the, or the, the dogs and the evil uh, workers of deceitfulness. You want to be safe? You just take what I'm saying to you and just let it just go, come over, just wash over you over and over and over again. How many of you know that's a principle in the Word of God? In fact, some of the early Jewish, uh, in fact, today, uh, just repetition is one of the key methodologies of learning. Just saying it over and over and over and you think, well, that sounds boring. No, when you think of the Word of God, it's living and active. It sets up residence in our life. We meditate on the things of God in our life, and it will guard our heart and keep us safe. Somebody say amen. And that's, in fact, Paul, uh, Peter said this, and I think it's 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, I won't build the context of what he was saying uh, but he's talking about things that will never, that if we'll do them, we'll never stumble. And then he says this, basically, you can read it, Philippians, chap, pardon me, First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1. He says, you know what, I'm building a system of remembrance that, in fact, I know I've repeated myself over and over, but I've got a system, even after I die, that it's going to keep 
these things moving over and over in your life, these principles of the Word of God. And, and you know, some people uh, think, well, we can, we can mature beyond certain things. You can't mature beyond a consistent diet of meditating on the law and the Word of God and the things of God and the ways of God. I'm telling you, uh, it will change your life. And everybody said amen. In fact, uh, uh, just memorizing the Word will give you great power and authority. A little quick story. I don't know if I told, I think I told this at our uh, leadership class Sunday night, but uh, uh, Ty and Brent and Stacy were out in the garage working. I think they have a garage scuttle hole, and he was climbing up the ladder. And uh, Papa taught him how to climb ladders uh, before his day uh, under strict supervision. But Stacy turned and she was, and she showed fear of him doing that. And you know what Ty did? He said, God's not give us a spirit of fear, Mom. Where did he learn that? He learned it at home. He learned it at church. Uh, and, uh, and so just memorizing the word will come in handy at a key time to set Mama straight. Mama went from afraid to all gushy and mushy and, My son's quoting scripture to me. I'm so blessed. Amen. And so uh, it's, re- rep- it's uh, repetitious reinforcement. Just get it down and just keep getting it down. Amen. You can't get too far away from the basics in Christ. And, and we guard the goods by way of repetitious reinforcement. And then number two, we guard the goods by way of worshiping God in the spirit. After he says, beware of the dogs and the evil workers and beware of the mutilation. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. And, uh, I want to tell you something, that phrase, who worship God in the spirit, is a key ingredient to guarding the joy of the Lord in your life. You get in the spirit and you begin to worship. I'm telling you, a lifestyle of worship where you just, you just let her rip. Everybody say, let her rip. I mean, we need to let her rip. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's something that we need to to incorporate in our life where it becomes second nature where we're where if if our default i don't know where your default is when the mutilation or the evildoers or the dogs show up i don't know what your default is but our default should be i'm just going to worship god in the spirit I'm not going to let this knock me off my relationship with jesus christ i'm going to just worship right now i'm going to worship you know, I began to learn that at an early age. And years ago, when my wife was pregnant with uh, Laura Beth, she was actually in the hospital uh, because she was dehydrated. If you see pictures of her back then, she weighed like 90-something pounds, sopping wet. And, and, uh, and she was dehydrated. And uh, uh, so she was actually in the hospital. I get a phone call from my mother-in-law. Uh, it was a church night. We were having the first night of a revival and I had come home to lead the singing, and my mother-in-law calls me and says, uh, uh, have you talked to your family? I said, no. Well, uh, she said, your dad has been killed in a plane crash. He was a private pilot. Man, how many of you know at key moments like that in your life, whatever the default is in your life can make it or break it? Well, for some 
strange reason I had developed, you know, I didn't realize this, but my default sent me to my room and I did exactly what he said. We, we worship God in the spirit. I just began to worship God. I chose that moment not to, not to fear and not to doubt, not to, not to uh, uh, allow the trauma of my moment to overwhelm me and rob me of my joy, which has nothing to do with my external, temporary circumstances. Somebody say amen. You guard the goods by repetitious reinforcement. You guard the goods by worshiping God in the spirit. In fact, David said this in Psalm 16, verse 11. And your presence is what? Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And how many of you know we enter his gates with thanksgiving and we come into his courts with praise. That gets us into the presence of God. And when we get into the presence of God, when we worship God in the spirit, it gets us in his presence. And hey, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. You're still full of joy. And his right hand produces pleasures forevermore. Amen. I love that. Amen. And how do you worship God in the spirit? You just get in the spirit and start worshiping. Stir it up. Get the flow going. Some of you have never done that. Let me just say, you're very faithful folks. But listen carefully. Some of you have never taken time just to stir up the anointing of God in your life at the place of worship. Just to, you know, and just, just glorify him and get, get beside yourself a little bit. And step out of your little comfort zone and just say, I'm going to glorify and magnify your name. I'm going to just, stir. I'm just going to stay in your presence and worship you. You'd learn to do that. Life will go well, even in the face of great adversity. We guard the goods by way of repetitious reinforcement. We guard the goods by worshiping God in the spirit. And we guard the goods by having no confidence in the flesh. Now, look what he says in verse 4. He says, I love these. I love how he puts all these things. You think, what? He's just lumping some big truths together. We are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and we have no confidence in the flesh. Now, understand something. Uh, biblical joy has no root in personal accomplishments. You know what I learned the other day? In fact, I reinforced it with a quick Google search. I learned, and, and out of, I'll just tell you, I learned that the number one, in, I think it's in Texas, the number one profession that has the the profession that has the highest suicide rate is prison workers. Now, that was the context of my discussion. But, but then this guy said, you know what number two is? I said, no. He said, dentist. I don't know why, but then I Googled it, and physicians has one of the highest suicide rates of professions, probably in America across the board. Now, these are, these are smart folks. These are acclaimed folks. These are people who have cred credibility and credentials, but it did not and does not bring them joy. 
And how many of you know, you, you think, well, if I can just get here, just go there, man, if I can just do that, man, you know, uh, if I could just, uh, you know, change this or, or, or gain to this level, then I'd be happy. No, my friend, understand something. Uh, if you want to guard the goods, you've got to come to the place where uh, all the blessings, all the accomplishment, all the acclaim, uh, that, that however good or wherever, that is not your source of joy. Okay? He said, don't have any confidence in the flesh. Look what he says. And then he starts telling all the things that if anybody has a right to glory in their, their, their uh, acclaim and, 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 and accomplishments, I would be. But he says, we should have no confidence in the flesh. Biblical joy has no root in personal gain. Biblical joy is rooted within him. Look in verse 9 after he said, I count all these things as loss. Now look in verse 8. Let me just hit that again. Yet indeed I also count all these things as loss. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. Now uh, King James says that, that, that they are as dung. That's what rubbish word. Anybody need a Greek interpretation of the word dung? Everybody got that? Okay, you know. Okay, you got it. He said, in relationship to who I am, that stuff is dung. It's rubbish. It brings me no joy. There is no satisfaction. And he says this. I just want to be found in him. I want to gain Christ and be found in him. Everyone say in him. Say, what did we begin this series with? What's the source of joy? Our fixed position in him. When you get in him, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. You're in him. Amen. And he says, hey, boil it all down. Hey, if anybody has a right, bragging rights, I got all the bragging rights. But I, I'm suffering all, that's all loss. It's all rubbish. It's all dung. I just want to gain him. And I want to be found fixed in him. That's where my joy is coming from. And that, my friend, is why he was able to write just a few verses later, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Amen. No confidence in personal gain. Uh, no confidence in the in our capacity. You know, I'm, I was now. How many of you know? Being self confident is not necessarily bad, but if you put your confidence in yourself, that becomes bad. And I had kind of gloried in the fact that I could do whatever I wanted to do in my early years. That. Whatever I put my hand to, I can do it. I just, I had a, I had a pretty high level of self-confidence. But it began uh, evidently because God ad- 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 addressed that in my life. Uh, well, I can take you to pretty close to the pew where I was sitting in Beverly Hills Baptist Church in Oak Cliff, Texas, where I was, I can't remember what I said to the Lord, uh, but I was kind of glorying in myself with the Lord, I guess. And he said these very words to me in my spirit, you cannot breathe without me. I mean, just as all of a sudden, he, with one phrase, he arrested where I was going out of bounds in my confidence in myself. 
you can't breathe without me. You know the next thing I did? <gasps> oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I took one more breath, make sure I was still with him. And hey, and from that day on, I've realized, yeah, God gives me graces and gifts, but you know what? I can't breathe without him. I have no confidence in myself, but I have all my confidence in him. And whoever I am and whatever I am, it's because of him. Amen. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. So uh, we guard the goods by guarding our heart and having no confidence in our flesh, but all our confidence in him. And just continue. I'm going to be found in him. I'm going to be found in him. Number five, we guard, pardon me, number four, we guard the goods by keeping the faith. Everyone say keep the faith. Look at verse, uh, verse nine. And be found, and being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. See the law. You know what the law was? It really was a, uh, the Bible says it was a guardian just to kind of keep his people in check until uh, the age of grace could come along where where we the revelation that the just shall live by faith uh, and not by works uh, uh, could be made manifest in God's timing uh, but it was also a validator that nobody could keep it that no matter how good you are you're not good enough to obey all the rules because we are natural born what sinners and he said, I'm not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through what? Faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. We've got to guard the faith. We've got to keep the faith. Now, the Galatians were not as sharp. In fact, let me show you this. Uh, yeah, let me show you this. Go back to Galatians. Let me show you these folks. Man, this letter has a whole different flavor than Philippians. He's bringing some rebuke uh, to the body of Christ in Galatia. Uh, in fact, chapter 3, verse 1, instead of saying, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, Galatians 3, 1 says, oh, foolish Galatians. <laughs> How many of you know he's talking to a different group of folks here? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of what? Faith. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit and are now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And so, uh, understand something. These influences in the world, whatever they may be, have the capacity to undermine the core of who we are as a Christian. Now, and who we are as a Christian is we are justified by faith. We are declared righteous by faith, not by works of righteousness, but by faith alone. Everyone say faith alone. You put your faith, you cannot work your way into the good graces of God. But under, and, and let me tell you something, the core of who we are as a Christian is, and as being found in him, we're found in him through the righteousness, which is by faith alone. Now, 
Let me just throw out this little, little tidbit. If we're not careful, we work our way back into legalism in honest efforts to do what's right. Now, let me explain. How many of you know you ought to pray? Right? But we don't pray to be more righteous or to gain greater status or influence with the Father. And did you know it can become legalistic with us? Man, we got to pray. We got to pray. I'm going to pray. And I'm praying. Or I'm reading my Bible. And I'm doing all these things. And I'm, do, and I'm, I'm, I'm crossing all my T's and dotting all my I's. And, and we do it out of a wrong motivation. We're trying to in some way impress God. To love us more. Or to do something more for us. By, by how we are dotting all the eyes and crossing all the T's. Now, should we pray more? Absolutely. Should we read more? Absolutely. Should we meditate on the law? Absolutely. But not out of a heart of trying to gain greater graces with God. You can't get any closer to God by working hard. Doesn't mean you shouldn't work hard. You understand it's the motivation of our heart. So when, it, when we come to this thing of, of faith, we've got to do everything we do by faith. And we trust Him. And we believe Him. And, we, and we, we just guard the faith. And don't let it be undermined by how the Galatians did. They somehow got back into a legalistic mindset. When God had delivered them from it. Everybody say, God forbid. God forbid. So keep, everybody say, keep the faith. Now... Uh, just trust him. We guard the goods by way of repetitious reinforcement, worshiping God in the spirit, having no confidence in the flesh, keeping the faith. And number five, pursuing his person. Now, let me show you verse 10. I think I read it already, uh, but let me show it to you again. I've got to get back to Philippians. Uh, verse 10 of chapter 3, we see this hot pursuit Paul has. Not after the provision of God, but after the person. There's a big difference. He said, I want to be found in him, verse 9 and then verse 10, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. He said, I just want to know him. And you know what? Today's world, even, hey, come on, let's be honest. Most of our pursuit is after the provision of God and not the person of God. And if you want your joy to remain full, Keep your focus on him and not his stuff. I've said this. Most, most people want his presence with a T and not his presence with a C. We pursue his presence with a T and not his presence with a C. We want, and, and what Paul said, I just want to know him. I, I've laid everything down, all my, all, everything that I am I, for the sake of knowing him. And I feel like today in our world, in our culture, even in the, in the Christian community, that, I, that, that this is a lost art. 
we in some ways think we can pull the right buttons and 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 say the right things and get what we want when we want it and all that is is just like down in verse 19 people whose gods are their bellies and it's all about them Paul said I just want to know him in the the good and the bad the the resurrection and in the crucifixion the power of his resurrection also in the fellowship of his sufferings whatever it takes I want to know him amen how many of you know that'll guard you guard the joy of the Lord in your life when you get your pursuit you, you, you pursue his person uh, and and not his provision how many of you know when you get the person you'll have his provision I'm reminded of uh, 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 Joshua and Moses uh, they were in the process of going into the promised land and the children of Israel had blown it terribly and the Bible says Joshua is in the pra- he, they're in the tabernacle they're praying they're talking to God God says this to them You can have the provision going into the promised land, but I'm not coming. Now, if they'd have put it to a vote, all the all the little children of Israel would have said, Woohoo, we'll take the provision. But thank God for godly leadership. Basically, they said, if you don't go, we don't go. Because what good is your provision without your presence? Paul realized that. And in fact, what does he say in other passages? He said, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be blessed and I know how, hey, that's chapter 4. He knows how to be content. Verse 12 of chapter 4, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things I've learned, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's irregardless of what's going on around me. I I just, uh, that's, hey, it's not going to knock me off my pursuit of him. It's pursuing his person. That's an important priority. Uh, And then number six, we guard the goods and the joy of the Lord in our life by pursuing his purpose. You know what? A study was done years ago of the most successful men and women in America. And they were trying to find the common denominator of their success. Was it their education? Was it their family? Was it this? Was it that? And they could find no common denominator. Some were highly educated. Some didn't even get out of high school. And so they, they, were, they were as diverse as the whole world. And they could not find it. Finally, they hit it. The one common denominator of the most successful people in America was that all of them lived with a sense of destiny and purpose. Now, even from a secular standpoint, people who 
feel they have a purpose in life, have a sense of inner peace and joy on some level. Would you agree with me? And Paul says this about the purpose of God and pursuing the purpose of God. He says this in verse 12. He says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay a hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid a hold of me. Now, two ways of saying that. I want to get a hold of his purpose. Uh, I want to get a hold of him like he's got a hold of me. But I, I want to lay hold on his purpose for my life, not my purpose. It's just like Jesus said, it's not my will, but your will be done. I want to fulfill his purpose. Listen, there's great joy in finding your purpose in life and then fulfilling it. Amen. People are searching for the, I wonder why uh, the book, The Purpose Driven Life, is the second most popular book in the history of the world. Second only to the what? The Bible. It's because people all over the world are searching for their purpose. It's an amazing truth. When you begin to plug into the purpose of God, it brings great joy. And listen, you get away from God's purposes, you'll lose your joy. In fact, whether you're a proponent of the book Purpose Driven Life or not, I I think it's a great book, by the way. But uh, the first statement in the book, anybody remember the first sentence? It's not about you. The first sentence, it's not about you. I'll never forget when I first started reading that, I, I was hammering that it's not about you, not about you. And finally, one the lady in the church, she, she couldn't take any more. She said, yeah, sometimes it is about me. I said, okay, you can have it about you if you want. But for me, it's not about me. <laughs> She didn't want to let go of that. It is. I want it to be about me sometimes. I understood what she was saying. But hey, the purpose of God, it's not what I want. It's what he wants. In fact, let me show you this. Paul told Timothy in in, uh, 2 Timothy. Let me show you this. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. He says, he saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to what? His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Let me just say, God has a plan for you before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye. And when you begin to plug into that purpose, you'll find great joy in discovering the purposes of God for your life. In fact, let me just throw it out. If you're in the middle of a quandary about the purpose of God, go buy the book, The Purpose Driven Life, and just go for 40 days and discover your purpose and realize, hey, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. He says, before time began, And that has now been revealed at the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We guard the goods by pursuing his purpose. And then number seven, we guard the goods by forgetting the past. Everybody say, forget about it. That's pretty. Y'all haven't been very good, but that was pretty good. Uh, 
He said this. Now, how many of you know the past can traumatize your life? How many of you know getting beat up really bad can traumatize your life? In fact, I have someone I know that they're, they're a grown adult and they were beaten in an attack as a, really bad by some robbers and thieves. Traumatized them to this day. Okay, Paul the Apostle times 10, it, he was, he had some bad experiences in life. And plus, prior to his conversion, he was consenting to the murder of Christians. I mean, he was relig- he thought he was obeying God in the persecution of Christianity. He mentions it here, just a few. Man, I was so religious, such a religious zealot, persecuting Christians. How many of you know those folks had faces and families? And that could traumatize a guy. So what do we see Paul saying? The good, bad, and the ugly? What does he say? In verse 13, he says this. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do... Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Listen, understand something. One of the biggest hindrances to your progress and joy and fulfillment of purpose is the pains and the traumas of your past. And until you get past the past, you can never move into your destiny and future. And hey, and, and whatever you have to do, listen, let me tell you what the past will do for you. It will paralyze you. And every time you try to move forward, that past will come rolling back up into the forefront of you. Yeah, but you can't do that because of this. Yeah, you can't do that. Your mama said this. and Your daddy said this. You did this. You did that. You can't do that because of this, that, and the other. Now, it's a program. You know, Paul says you just got to forget about this stuff. You cannot let this stuff. You cannot be in bondage to this stuff. Now, if you would like, I can lay hands on you and flop you around and Now, forget forgetting is a fine art. Like I told you, I forgot I'd gave, given this person a guitar. I can imagine ever forgetting that. I'd be going, hope they're using it. In fact, I had this funny thought when she said that. So I'd given her a guitar. Uh, I remember loaning a banjo to a friend of mine, and it got stolen out of his apartment. He never paid me back for the banjo. I, got, I still got that right. I ain't forgetting that. How many of you know we forget what we want to forget, and we hold on to what we want to hold on? Listen, forgetting things is a fine art, and uh, I'm a really good forgetter, sometimes to a fault. In fact, I remember a time when someone stuck me in business to the tune of about $2,500, wrote me a hot check or a stop payment check. I carried that check around for three or four years. Went full-time ministry, kept it in my desk at church. Every time I pulled it out, I go, One day I pulled it out and the Lord said, When are you going to forgive that guy and tear that up? Today, absolutely, you got to learn to forget it. I'm forgetting those things. There's nothing going to 
benefit me by hash, rehashing. And you shake it off your life. And that was the past. I'm not going to let it rob me of my future. I'm not going to let it rob me of my joy. Everybody go, ha, 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 ha. Amen. You got to forget the past. The past can be one of the biggest joy killers in your life. Wow. Number eight. We guard the goods by way of focusing on a strong finish. Finishing well. Look in verse 14. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He is looking towards the finish line. Listen, there is a finish line. Look at your neighbor and say, there is a finish line. There is a finish line. And hey, we can finish well. Now, you know the old statement, all's well that ends well? Let me tell you something. If it doesn't begin well, it's, not, it's hard for it to end well. So today, you can begin afresh with a fresh perspective and say, you know what? I'm forgetting the past and I'm focusing on a strong finish. I want to finish well. I want to finish strong. I don't want to finish my life without a legacy. I want to leave a legacy when I'm gone. And I want to go into heaven with a, with a knowing that I did my best to do the will of God. I don't want to get to heaven and, and, uh, and have him, have God say, you know what? Uh, this is what I had for you. But you only did this. I want to finish well. And when you fast forward just a little bit longer into the future, when he writes Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished my course. I ran my, I finished well. Now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And so, when you get your eyes on the finish and realize, hey, I, I cannot get knocked out of the race. I cannot move to the sidelines in life. You know, you watch some of the, I'm not a NASCAR guy. But how many of you know out of what, how many cars are there? 10, 15, 20, maybe more? How many of you know out of those 10 or 15 or 20, however many cars are in those, those races, there's only three or four real contenders. The rest of them are advertisements. Just making their laps. They know they're not real contenders. They know they're not going to win. Now, you would, they would never admit that. But how many of you know that's true? And ever, there's only, you don't hear, they don't talk about the, 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 the guy in the back, or the person who's never won a race. They talk about the Dale Earnhardt Jr., all those guys, those contenders that, that uh, out of uh, 15 or 20, 3 or 4 are the real contenders. Now listen, I don't want to be somebody just making the laps, doing my duties. I want to finish well. Amen. There's joy in finishing well. What did Jesus say about his finish line? Who for the joy set before me, I endured the cross, it says in, in Hebrews 12. There's a joy at the finish line. Amen. Woo. It'll keep you happy. And here's one, a couple more. We guard the goods by way of growing up in our thoughts. 
Everybody say, grow up. Let me show you this. Uh, He's saying in verse 13, uh, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching for things who are ahead, pressing toward the goal for the upward, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In verse 15, now it's application time. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. Now, you know, that's my way of saying, here's my way of saying it. We need to grow up in the way we think. Change the way we think about our future. Change the way we think about our life. Change the way we think about our circumstances. Change the way we think about a whole lot of things. In fact, look what he says in chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate slash think on these things. And he goes, go, go back over here to verse 15. If, you, if you're mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. We've got to grow up in the way we think about life. And listen, let me just tell you the, what I believe to be true. Much of the depression and soul sickness in the world is born in the recesses of unhealthy and unholy thoughts. That's just me. I didn't go to school to get that. I think the school of hard knocks. But much of the depression and soul sickness in the world is born in the recesses of unhealthy and unholy thoughts. If you change the way you can think, you think, you can change the way you can act. If you change the way you think and the way you can act, you can change the way you're going. If you change the way you think and change the way you act and change the way you're going, you can change the destiny of God over your life to His purposes and plan. It begins right here. We've got to dethrone stinking thinking. Everybody go pewee stinking thinking. Okay, I'm about done. One more. Number 10. We guard the goods, guard the joy of the Lord in our life by embracing our eternal citizenship. Now, 17, 18, and 19, he says, now remember these evil workers, these, these dogs, this, the mutilation who's End is their destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. They got thought process. They, 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 they have thought issues. They set their mind. Verse 20 says, for our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is not on planet earth. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed into his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now, understand something about Paul the apostle. He was serving and working on planet earth, but he was living and, and embracing his eternity on planet earth that's if you go back to the beginning uh, uh, chapter 1 he's saying for me to live is Christ and to die is gain he said 
but if I live on the flesh, this will, will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. He realized he's a pilgrim on planet Earth. He's a foreigner and stranger on planet Earth. My citizenship is in heaven. Amen. And in fact, what does it say about the forefathers of our faith in Hebrews chapter 11? These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them uh, afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. O hymn of the church. I think it's no hymn. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. How can you do that? By realizing where your citizenship. I'm just a, I'm just a foreigner. I'm just a pilgrim passing through. Amen. So we embrace our citizenship. That puts the joy of the Lord. That puts us right back in Him. And we guard the goods. Here we go. I'm going to give all ten to you. We guard the goods by way of repetitious reinforcement. We guard the goods by worshiping God in the Spirit. We guard the goods by having no confidence in the flesh. We guard the goods by keeping the faith. We guard the goods by pursuing His person. We guard the goods and maintain our joy by pursuing his purpose and by forgetting the past and by focusing on a strong finish and by growing up in our thoughts and embracing our internal citizenship. And everybody said, amen. I got the joy, joy, joy in my soul. Let's stand up together and just reach out and grasp a little more biblical joy today that has absolutely nothing to do with our eternal or our temporary circumstances, but has everything to do with our eternal position in Christ. Father, today we thank you that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are in you. We are fixed in you today. And the source of our joy is not based upon our personal uh, uh, acumen, not based upon our accomplishments but based solely upon our faith in you and the finished work of Christ and being positioned in him and in you Lord today we rejoice in the Lord always today we rejoice continually today we we say we will joy in the God of our salvation we rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice everybody said amen Let's give the Lord and the Word of God a big God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody said amen. I'm looking forward to Sunday. I'm already pretty jazzed about Sunday. I want you to come, be here, bring friends and family, and let's continue studying the Word and growing together. It's going to be a great Sunday. I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm wanting to preach that message right now, but I'll wait till Sunday. We'll see you then. God bless.